0: Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. Hey everyone, I am on the line with Ben Lorica. Ben is the chief data scientist at O'Reilly Media, and he's also responsible for content for both the Strata Data Conference as well as the O'Reilly AI Conference. Uh, Hey, Ben, how are you doing? Great. Great to be here, Sam. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, every time I talk to you, you are just getting off of a plane. And it sounds like that is the case this time as well. Yeah. So we
1: had an outstanding uh, Strata data conference in London. Yeah. uh, Basically, many, many people from uh, uh, many different parts of Europe came and spoke and attended. And... This year in particular, we had a uh, concerted effort to focus on uh, deep learning on the machine learning side. But, you know, the, okay. the the staple topics of Strata were still remain popular, particularly on architecting big data application.
0: Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I thought we'd start this conversation by having you spend a little bit of time talking about your background and how you got uh, started with data and, um, you know, how you, you know, kind of your path leading up to O'Reilly. Sure. So uh, I, I have a PhD in math and
1: focused on uh, nonlinear partial differential equations. And uh, towards the end of graduate school, uh, I became interested in a specific set of differential equations called stochastic differential equations, which turn out to be at least uh, um, theoretically important for uh, quantitative finance. So I, I had some interest already in kind of the uh, industrial applications of, of what I was doing, but mm-hmm. uh, I definitely was on the academic track. So after grad school, I uh, was an academic for five years. Okay. But then at some point uh, I decided uh, – I was actually much more interested in industry and uh, uh at the risk of dating myself at least uh, at the time when uh, i I was contemplating moving to industry, there was no data science track so the the uh, uh-huh. <laughs> the exit the exit strategy was uh, becoming a quant, and so that 's what i did okay. I, I did that for about two and a half years in a small hedge fund uh designing trading models risk management portfolio management and things like that and uh, you know one of the first things i learned of course is the the stuff i thought uh, was going to be super important uh, the stochastic pdes while uh, good to know not not exactly uh, what uh, uh, i needed to do for my job so at that uh-huh. time at that time actually um The term machine learning, I would say, was kind of nascent. The people were still using the term data mining, Um, and so that—that's what I did at this. I I, I applied basically statistical techniques and machine learning uh, to financial time series. But then, at some point, I realized my interests actually were much more on the tech side, you know, the programming and, and and building. Hmm. software applications, uh, uh, for, uh, analyzing these, uh, uh, time series. And so that, and then I ended okay. up, uh, moving to Silicon Valley around, actually, believe it or not, at the peak of the NASDAQ at the time, which was around March, 2000. <laughs> and, and so then, uh, okay. uh, I was here, I was here, uh, just in time for that first bust, uh,
0: and then the first bust, yep. yep. Yeah, yeah, I was there around the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, um, do you do you do you keep track of what's going on in the on the quanti- quantitative side of the financial uh markets and how folks are how the technology has evolved since you worked in that space?
1: Um I'm not not that closely. I I still have friends and obviously uh, my work leading these Two big conferences that you, you described, Strata Data, and the O'Reilly Artificial Intelligence Conference brings me in contact with uh, people working in finance. So I, I keep track of it that way. Um, yeah, so to some extent I do, but I'm not immersed in the, the latest uh, techniques that they're using. Although I, I would say that they are actually moving more towards our world <laughs> you know of of using uh-huh. machi- of using machine learning alternative data sources uh big data and, and uh some of these more uh uh bleeding edge uh machine learning techniques including deep learning so to the extent that they are actually okay. showing up at the events i organize uh that's how i keep track Mm
0: mm-hmm. mhm Okay. Okay. So I interrupted you. You. you um, oh, yeah. So then, at some got point, got into the I, technical I, side of things.
1: I got into the technical side of things, and um, when I first moved to tech, I think uh, you know this won't surprise a lot of your listeners, but you know one of the big uh, users of data in tech are uh, the marketing and sales people. So. That's how I kind of mm-hmm. uh, moved into tech. Was basically took what I learned in uh, in finance and started applying it in, in marketing and sales applications. So uh, did a, a couple of startups, joined a couple of startups that didn't really uh, take off, and then eventually, at some point, ended up at O'Reilly as a data scientist working on the types of data that we have, which is a lot of it is sales data, but a lot of Unstructured and semi-structured text. So, I was uh, I was definitely uh, uh, one of the first people doing a lot of this text mining and uh, uh, mm-hmm. machine machine learning for text from the early days. I, I mean, I may have I may have been one of the first people to actually use this uh, topic models LDA that David Bly, Andrew Ng, and Mike Jordan wrote about uh, for an okay. indu- for an industrial consulting project. <laughs>
0: So oh wow uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that
1: oh uh, i mean so it's a, with a well known tech company right so hired uh, us at O'Reilly to analyze our tech sources uh-huh. unstructured tech sources which include job posting all the job postings in the u s okay and, and things like that and to just uh, get them give them strategic advice so i thought i thought uh, okay. u- using uh, LDA and topic models would uh, provide some uh, quantitative basis for the advice we were giving. And from what I understand, uh, it did change the direction of this uh, major, major tech company company that everyone uh, uh, knows about.
0: Mm. Uh, So I guess one thing that I've been meaning to ask you for a while now, actually, is, you know, you've now got five Strata conferences, right? And the two AI conferences. And I think you're involved in all of those. Uh, is that right?
1: Yeah. So I'm responsible for the program for all of those. Uh, so basically everything The the we have at, at these conferences, we have two day trainings. We have tutorials. And we have sessions. Yep. And then we have keynotes. So basically uh i i'm ultimately the person responsible for uh the the lineup for all these conferences
0: okay and so my question then is do you actually have any time for doing data science at o'reilly nowadays or are you uh how how could you possibly with all of these conferences
1: <laughs> you know this the, you know i i would say that it's become it's become less and less right so i think uh uh-huh. I think as we kept adding more conferences, and you know, as you know, many of these conferences are are spread out across geographic regions, right? So, um, right. so we have conferences in the U.S., but we have conferences in Europe and Asia, and so yeah, I've I've mm-hmm. I found myself with less and less time. So to be to be honest, so mm-hmm. now I'm much more. Uh, less of a practitioner, more of basically a uh, watcher from afar. But I think that, mm-hmm. you know, my background and my ability to read the original papers and talk to the researchers, many of which whom I've known for many years, I think I still have kind of some feel, but uh, maybe not as much of the hands-on, yeah, yeah. hands-on feel that I would like. But I would say that uh, it, the trade-off for that, though, is I've gained a much more global perspective, right? So I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know uh, to what extent you've organized events, but uh, you know, I mean, uh, you, for us, particularly since we organize events across the world, you can't really just take your set of speakers from California. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, right, and take right. them to somewhere else, right? So you really have to know the local, <laughs> the local scene, the local companies, yeah, uh, the local communities. And so, uh, to me, right. I kind of uh, I found I found that very kind of uh, rewarding, right? So that I I know I I know the the data mm-hmm. scene in Southeast Asia, in China, in Europe, and things like that. So,
0: mm-hmm. well, one thing that. If we could maybe spend some time talking through a little bit of the kinds of problems that you tend to see at O'Reilly with regard to you know data science and machine learning and AI and the types of approaches and techniques that you are using to solve them. I think uh, listeners would enjoy hearing a little bit of that detail.
1: I think at this, uh, like many companies, uh, this is not going to be a surprise Uh O'Reilly's is, is an older company, it's not a startup. So we have we do have uh uh many many different systems. Um some mm-hmm. some some are kind of the new bleeding edge open source systems, some are older uh proprietary systems, right? And so I actually to believe it or not, one right. of our main problems is still to this day data integration, <laughs> you know. I mean just because uh, mm-hmm. we do have many many uh, systems just uh, getting the data all together in one place is it remains a yeah. challenge. Yeah. And then uh beyond that I think uh luckily we do have a team dedicated to the data engineering part. Okay. But it's it remains a, 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 a for us it remains a work in progress because uh, we also keep adding adding systems that we're using. <laughs> You know, because there's many, many mm-hmm. uh, software as a service these days, right? So, so different parts of right, the company right. starts using, uh, start using different things. So that's one problem. The other problem is still, I think a lot of our, uh, a lot of our data is still unstructured, right? So, I mean, I guess there's mm-hmm. some structure. I mean, so if you think about books, there's some structure there, right? So, uh, but we also sure. now, I don't know to what extent you're following. Uh, our Safari platform, uh, which is increasingly mm-hmm. relying on, for example, video, right? So, uh, okay. Um, so, so there's a lot of, uh, uh, data that we rely on that remains unstructured. And one of the, one of the challenges for us too, as a, uh, kind of a media company that uh, is. uh, uh, building a learning platform for training is to take all of these uh, mm-hmm. many, many data sources, both structured and unstructured and organized. Um, so right. it turns out actually that, uh, you know, uh, search and uh, a, a nice human curated taxonomy is still uh, kind of to- remain the basic problems for companies like us, right? So f- let's say, for example, you wanted to learn something mm-hmm. in uh, in a new field of machine learning, right? So we may mm-hmm. have thousands and thousands of sources because our Safari platform doesn't just rely on our content. It relies on our content partners as well. So we will right. have to organize. Right. You, you can do a search, so that's one way for you to, Probably navigate our Safari Safari platform, but increasingly we've we've we're finding that uh, people want kind of curated content, right? So how how do I learn about this new topic? Well, we'll uh, mm-hmm. will uh, use kind of the combination of humans and machines to organize a learning path for you, or uh, or uh, or a resource center inside Safari. So so I think that mm-hmm. whole. Uh, Taxonomy creation uh, and mm-hmm. uh, grappling with uh, data integration and unstructured uh, data; uh, those are our main challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And have you invested much in uh, in personalization using you know some of the machine learning and, and AI techniques that that folks are using for that kind of stuff?
1: I think. Uh, I would say we're still in the early phases, work in progress. Yeah, that's a good point mm-hmm. to be honest, because uh, people learn uh, people learn differently, right? So each individual will learn uh, mm-hmm. uh, differently from another, and so to the extent that uh, we're we are uh, at least on our online division, we are trying to build uh, the best learning platform. So a lot of that will increasingly. Have to rely on personalization, but I would say we're still in the early, early stages.
0: Mm-hmm. And do you have a particular, you know, vision in mind for how, you know, how the technology is put to to use uh, to enable? Um, you know, a a certain kind of experience? Like, do you you have a sense for what that experience, you know, looks and feels like and how it's different from, you know, what someone might experience today and then what the supporting pieces might need to be?
1: Yeah, in our case, because, for example, uh, many Safari users uh, use them through their companies. Let's say you work for a large company that has a a, uh, subscription to Safari. Um, right. so it it will be kind of a combination of you, us serving you content personalized to you, but us also serving, okay. serving you content that kind of reflects what your particular organization is emphasizing or, you know, uh, the rest of your team members are, mm-hmm. are, are learning about. So, um, okay yeah and then the other thing Sam actually I should mention is that uh, inside Safari we now have live online training on uh, many of the topics that okay. your listeners might be interested in, including uh big data, infrastructure and architecture uh machine learning um, data science, and uh increasingly uh we're finding actually there's a lot of uh, demand for uh content that I would describe as uh, much more non-technical, you know, so a lot of people are grappling with, they read about a specific topic, you know, they may not uh, need to implement it right away, but they need to know at a high level, what it is about. And should mm-hmm. they be, should they be bringing that into their company? And if so, right. what right. are, what are some of the, uh, uh, steps they should do to, uh, integrate the such and such technology or technique into their, uh, existing products.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so y- y- you talked a little bit about the kind of exposure you get, um, you know, in terms of, in your roles at, with the different conferences, uh, I'm interested in kind of taking your temperature on, you know, the various trends you're seeing out there and what you're finding most interesting.
1: Ah, so good. So, so I just gave a keynote about this in Israel yesterday. Oh, really? Oh, awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I would say uh, on the machine learning side, uh, you know, last year I kind of told people that this year I think deep learning will become a machine learning technique that uh, people in the data science community will, will start using. Uh-huh. Um So as you know, deep learning is a lot more associated with the other conference that I run, which is the AI conference, right? uh, where they're they're grappling with uh, uh, data from uh, images and video and audio, so computer vision and speech technologies and things like that. Mm -hmm. So what we're seeing is there's a lot of hunger in the data science community uh, to see if they can take uh, deep learning and use it to replace some other uh, existing machine learning technique that they're using. Mm-hmm. So, for example, some people are looking at it f- in terms of recommender systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people are looking at it to replace how they do search rankings and things like that. So that's that's uh, one trend. And uh, so uh, on the on the data science side, the other thing we're kind of seeing, and this might. At this point, be much more of a Bay Area thing is that uh, um, people are starting to talk about a a role that kind of is a hybrid between uh, the classic data scientist and the data engineer. So, uh, Hmm. a lot of people use the term machine learning engineer. Right. Um, So, what it is is basically someone who is maybe a little stronger on the software engineering side. Okay. Right. So, they write they write code with the express intention that this might, or this will be deployed into production. Mm-hmm. So it's not one-off sloppy. Uh, and then they also tend to think much more holistically. So uh, if we're going to d- deploy this into production, what is our logging infrastructure? What is our A-B testing infrastructure? Mm-hmm. And so on. And and then, um, yeah, so then... Uh, it- the, the the emphasis is on production, uh, and less on prototypes.
0: Okay. It, it's interesting how the how the role um, you know these roles just keep being redefined, right? I, I think a few years ago, um, the big conversation was that we saw we actually thought of the data scientist as this monolithic person, right? That needed to know how to do everything, right? They needed to be, you know, statistically savvy, uh, you know, know the math behind, you know, the analytics and the machine learning stuff. They needed to, um, you know, understand how to get data from all these systems because, you know, their reality was that they spent, you know, 80% of their time or more just kind of shuffling data around, uh, and then we started to get the, you know, the role started to split off a little bit. Um, and you started to see, you know, data engineers, you know, being thought of as separate from, you know, machine learning people. And in some places you'd pair those, you know, those two with, uh, or I'm sorry, data engineers being, you know, separate from your data scientists. And in some places you'd pair those two with, you know, your real professional programmers slash software engineers. You know, now it sounds like you're saying, You know, we kind of came up with a new name and it's, you know, again, it's this kind of unicorn that's supposed to know how to do everything. Am I reading it? Am I reading that right?
1: Um, I would say. No, I mean, I I, slightly. Yeah. But I think the original term of data scientist was exactly what you described, which was the unicorn. This is not someone who's has a Ph.D. in machine learning necessarily. Right. So maybe the background here is much more of this in the, on the engineering side and then they mm-hmm. learn it, uh enough machine enough ma- machine learning to know uh how to uh, basically build machine learning enabled products got it got it and uh, part of that is that uh you know the, the emphasis on production means also knowing uh, what to do with uh, these models once they hit production right, right. so right uh, how to how to tell when a model gets stale you know and, and things like that and how when do we need to retrain it mm-hmm. so but uh I would say the uh, the background might be much more on the engineering side and then learn uh enough machine learning to start uh, uh, being able to move much more fast mm-hmm. right so okay. and there there might still be data scientists in the in the organization to to kind of uh uh, build the prototypes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but increasingly, I think uh, at least the simpler uh, machine learning things, uh, maybe this machine learning engineer can take on. And in fact, actually, if if you talk to companies that uh, use a lot of deep learning, they even have a uh, much more specific role, which they call the deep learning engineer. Right? So. Okay, so then uh, other trends. So uh, on on the data side. Oh, so the other thing that I I, I pointed I, I've been pointing out to people is this notion that um, we've had a lot of progress in machine learning, right? So you can just read read uh, online publications, and there's all sorts of papers being released, lots of interesting developments, yep. right? So and uh, that's great, right? So but then uh, I've been what I've been telling people is uh, imagine a scenario where uh, Nothing happens in, uh, on the research front for the next five to ten years, or next five years, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, so my my uh, my position is that there's still so much low hanging fruit in many companies, including uh, us, O'Reilly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that you can just take what we know now. Uh huh. You can take what we know now and implement it. Implement it, and we're 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 yeah, going to be fine. Yeah we're st- we're still going to be fine right so like i said earlier sam we're still grappling with data integration right, right right
0: yeah and i don't think that that you guys are necessarily unique uh among you know enterprises i think you know there are are some you know large sophisticated enterprises that are kind of at the the front edge of this thing um but a lot of folks are really just in the stage of trying to figure out you know where it fits and how to best apply it and where they can extract the most value uh, and and how to put together the the teams to be able to do it because of the, you know, the talent shortages, as you're well aware.
1: Yeah. And then to be honest, there's been a lot of progress. So now mm-hmm. we have to take a lot of those ideas and uh, use them. Yeah. Um, and to a large extent, actually, uh, I think that the, uh, while we have been fascinated with kind of horizontal platforms, I think a lot of the interesting uh, applications of these machine learning models will be in kind of verticalized applications, right? So, and I, I think we'll increasingly see companies uh, uh, specialize in in serving these these industries. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, actually, there's a there's a uh, intersection with the AI industry, AI community, in the sense, in the sense that uh, uh, while we read a lot about the general AI, uh, actually the way the VC community and the investors, at least when you talk to them, have been investing is they're they're investing in focused applications, right? Sure. So, sure. Uh, whatever that whatever that might be, security, drug discovery, mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, so the other thing that I, I've been talking to people about is uh, training data, right? So we sometimes forget that a lot of uh, the developments in deep learning really relied on the existence of large labeled training data sets. Right. And to the extent that if you survey companies, I think, that still remains the bottleneck, right? So it's not the models; mm-hmm. it's not uh, delivering uh, great models. It's just coming up with uh, training data, right? And 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 there, there's a lot of interesting things happening, right? So in the deep learning community, you have uh, these generative models, uh, uh, mostly around generative adversarial networks, right? But then also uh, in the mm-hmm. data science community, there's interesting. Work, for example, by my friend Chris Ray at Stanford, uh, who had a system called Deep Dive, uh, and now the next generation is Snorkel, where they basically uh, are able to take uh, uh, noisier data sources. So they start with less labeled data, Mm -hmm. supplement it with noisier data sources, and then they're able to build much more accurate models. So I think there's a lot of... uh, Hmm. We sometimes forget the importance of data. Uh, And so I think there will be still a lot of interesting uh, research in how we get to training data sets much more efficiently. Mm. And then on the machine learning side, the other thing that uh, I've been uh, been talking a lot about recently is uh, real-time or live data. So here I owe my inspiration to the Rice Lab, the, the successor to the AMP Lab. So the AMP lab, as people know, is the lab that originated Apache Mesos, Apache Spark, and Alexia. Uh, so the new lab, RICE, stands for Real-Time Intelligent Secure Execution. So what, So live data is basically, basically, think about an agent interacting with an environment, right? So a user interacting with a website, a robot navigating its environment, self-driving car, Mm-hmm. A player playing a uh, a computer system player playing a computer a game like a, tar, a yep. an atari game or go so there you have an environment you have an agent interacting with an environment so in the classic reinforcement learning sense you 're trying to learn a policy right so given yeah, a yeah. state of the environment what action should what action should i take but you know if you actually take a step back and kind of look at the the flow of data in in, in these types of applications. The first part looks a little bit like what we've been dealing with in recent years. So it might look like a streaming application. Uh, So you have data Mm -hmm. ingestion and things like that, uh, stream processing and things like that. But the machine learning part is slightly different, right? So in the reinforcement learning sense, you're trying to learn this policy. You have to run a lot of simulations, you have heterogeneous computer graphs, and if it's mm-hmm. truly a live application, you need to have uh, millisecond l- latency right so so then it turns out the uh, existing frameworks we have are not able to, to do machine learning in these really live dynamic environments yeah yeah, so the classic tools have been that we've been using uh, aren't able to to uh, to do the machine learning you need in these environments, which I think increasingly will be much more common, mm-hmm. right? So um, as people as the tools get better, the use cases will become much more clear. So, uh, so the the people at Rice Lab took a look and, and kind of surveyed so what's out there, and then they realized that you know computational framework for these types of applications don't exist, right? So. So, uh, so then they ended up building building one called Ray, which is out in alpha. In uh, uh, actually, we're going to do a tutorial on 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 this on reinforcement learning using Ray at our AI conference in San Francisco. Hmm. But the other thing I wanted to emphasize here is that uh, the 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 interesting thing to me is kind of machine learning in this live environment right so right. It, it turns out right now that people are using reinforcement learning but uh, there's other techniques that might emerge mm-hmm. and the interesting the interesting thing about ray is that uh, you can use it for reinforcement learning or other approaches so for example the open ai folks recently published a paper where they use evolutionary Algorithms, right? So okay. to 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 solve some some of the things that uh, you would do with reinforcement learning. But the interesting thing is that uh, Rice Lab people uh, took that paper and basically they just implemented uh, this uh, evolutionary algorithm in Ray, no problem. So. Like I said, uh, you know, uh, I think that I think the tools are are kind of a work in progress. And that includes Ray. And Mm -hmm. as the tools get better, then uh, people will start uh, using these tools and then the use cases will be much more clear. But basically think about uh, any any kind of dynamic setting where you want. To be able to take advantage of machine learning, mm-hmm. and right now I would say Sam that uh, my other conference, the AI conference, is definitely much more uh, aware and f- interested and focused on on these types of applications. So, for example, we're already seeing that uh, reinforcement learning content and tutorials are very popular at that conference. But uh-huh. I think as the tools get better, maybe maybe we'll start seeing the data science community start using them too right so for example you know look back 3 years ago deep learning would have been inaccessible to the data science community right, right? So we didn't right. have the tools like tensor tensorflow mxnet big dl and pytorch and all these things but yeah. as the tools got better people people start kicking the tires right so uh, oh, oh, go ahead, Ted.
0: I was just going to uh, to drill into your comment about reinforcement learning. Um, you know, typically the literature uh, in talking about reinforcement learning is looking at kind of an agent exploring and uh, an environment uh, and trying to maximize some policy. So the, the off cited example is like the an agent being trained to play atari video games like breakout and and maximize their score um do you have a sense for how this translates into the real time you know streaming machine learning example that uh or even industrial uh you know enterprise type uh scenarios
1: you know i think that uh uh the use cases still need to be worked out, but you can imagine uh, uh, personalization on the website, maybe right? Mm-hmm. So where you're interacting uh, with a website much like you're interacting with a game. Right. Um, I mean, it's uh, on the AI side. You can you can see applications in autonomous uh, vehicles mm-hmm. and drones. Sure. Um. Maybe in inventory management, if you really need real time inventory management, mm-hmm. definitely the finance people might uh, might be interested in this from uh, trading strategies or portfolio design and then uh, resource allocation if you if you imagine a scenario where resource allocation uh, with uh, live data becomes mm-hmm. uh, uh, Prevalent, but definitely robots are in any kind of robotic environment, right? right? right. So, uh, robotic application Hmm. is already using it. But I think uh, I uh, I imagine a a place a a scenario where uh, if the tools get better, uh, the people will probably find the right use cases. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure.
0: Yeah, one of the other things that I find interesting about the whole real-time machine learning scenario, and and let me know if you have come across this or have any thoughts on this, but there seems to be, uh, there seems to be in the, in those kinds of environments a emerging of you know traditionally your training and inference are two totally different things, and when we're talking about kind of real-time streaming data, more and more I, I see people wanting to do things like active learning where they're you know the the learning is real time in addition to the the inference which um you know folks more easily do real time now uh, is that what you're seeing as well
1: uh, yes, to some extent i mean I think that uh, it, the use cases that I'm interested in uh tend to still separate the training and inference. I mean, the use cases that I'm much more familiar with Mm -hmm. tend to still separate the training and inference. Uh, I think there's, there are people who are kind of pushing the envelope towards much more of this online learning scenario. But then, but then now we start getting into the scenario I just described, right? So we're just kind of learning really with live data and, uh, uh, and interacting with an environment, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, where where you have where simulations and explorations, the ability to do those at large scale at very low latency, uh, mm-hmm. come into play, and those scenarios are really quite different. Yeah. And, and actually, uh, this is a good segue to the last thing I wanted to emphasize, which is uh, uh, compute. Right. So, uh, you we're mm-hmm. in the age of big models which is deep learning big data which is uh, training data and and live data and big compute right so as you mentioned um uh in in this in this scenario we need everything right so we need scale throughput latency all of that with low right. power consumption so th- i think there's a lot of interesting things happening there like uh, what would what what is the future infrastructure yeah, yeah. for machine learning right so I think those are still uh, uh, very active areas. A lot of things happening uh, at a rapid clip, right? So Mm -hmm. both from uh, the GPU side, the CPU side, uh, FPGAs and ASICs and all of that, right? So, um, yeah. yeah. So I think sometimes people forget that uh, um, to make all of this work, you still need hardware. Right. (laughs) Right, and and uh, and hardware and hardware, you know, there's a lot of trade offs when you get to hardware. Yeah,
0: yeah. Unfortunately, I think for a lot of people working in the space, you can't forget it enough, right? I think over time, the you know the level of abstraction is going to have to raise where people yeah can just you know have the full flexibility to do the things that they want to do without having to think about. You know how that how they configure their you know jobs to run on GPUs or distributed or what have you, um, but still, I think a lot of thought still has to happen more, more thought than you know, than, than yeah, it should be right,
1: yeah. And, but I think you know, I mean, I think we're getting to the point where you've got these tools for hardware and software acceleration, uh huh, um, and then, the, and then the software libraries, so. I think that uh, for most practitioners, the only time they'll think about it is when they look at their bill, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, at, le- at least uh, for most practitioners, right? So, But then for the bleeding edge re- researchers who have to worry really at the low level, like at the level of interconnects yeah, and things like that, because yeah. they're trying to break or set the record for speech recognition. A lot of that still matters, but for regular people, it's just the cost. I think is uh, mm-hmm. what what they're going to end up. Uh, that's how they're going to know mm-hmm. what they're using. Mm-hmm. Right, so. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so the other thing that, or or another thing that uh, I often enjoy chatting with you about is the you know interesting startups that are you know, doing interesting things, you know, both in Silicon Valley and around the world. What, uh, any, anything come to mind there or, you know, and I'm particularly interested in, you know, ones that we don't hear about all the time that, you know, maybe in, you know, other, other parts of the world.
1: You know, there's a, a bunch of startups in, in China, uh, mm-hmm. that I, you know, I'm not sure, uh, uh, p- people here have heard of, but just generally around uh, applying uh, deep learning to okay. whatever uh, whatever ver- vertical, right? So manufacturing, drones, uh, and to some extent uh, uh, similar applications that we would see here, but for that market, right? So for uh, speech recognition and okay. uh, intelligent uh, uh chatbots and things like that uh, but uh, i would say i would say actually so if you look at the ai so the 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 one country that i think is really interesting in terms of its excitement and fascination for ai is china right so because mm-hmm. uh, uh just just organizing a conference there, and people just are dying for for content in in, in this area. Hmm. So, in terms of startups, um, I would say I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm really interested in the startups that are much more focused. Yeah, because uh, you know, I I think the whole uh, if you're going to do a platform, it's it's going to be tough to compete with these cloud providers, mm-hmm. right? So. Unless you have a platform that's focused on a vertical, maybe right. right. So, uh, but you know, I mean, Amazon, Google, uh, Microsoft—they have pretty impressive uh, tools for doing, uh, for doing uh, almost the end-to-end, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, for building these applications. But if you, but if you are very, very focused, I think that's where you can ex- excel. Um, so you might be a focus, a focused. Uh, a startup on uh, drug discovery, or even actually, you can take an, an area like computer vision, right? So, I happen to advise a startup called Metroid that's trying to be kind of the, a computer vision uh, enabler for for many companies. Uh, okay. So then they can they can they can take kind of much more of the uh, uh, product approach in terms of how do companies use this easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, to solve problems, right so whatever whatever it might be, summarizing surveillance cameras and and things like that, I mean, I guess you can build all of these things yourself using uh existing tools or the cloud, but uh, they already have a product that right. uh, your analysts can use okay. non programmers right so so I'm uh, I'm uh, quite interested in, in in companies like that. I've been trying to kind of get a, as you mentioned earlier, uh, uh, as to whether I pay attention to finance. I've been recently trying to figure out what's happening in finance on on some of these technologies, okay. and I haven't. Uh, I, I I don't have a quick answer, mm-hmm. right? So it seems like there's a mix of of hype and mm-hmm. reality, um, but finance is kind of also a, a peculiar industry in the sense that maybe the most interesting things are happening in companies who don't want to talk to
0: you. Yeah. Yeah. Finance can be like, you know that, what I mean? Right?
1: So, so, so recently, for example, I tried to, I had a, one of my editors, I, uh, I introduced, uh, uh, him to a bunch of companies, right. So in finance and, uh, to try to uh, get a handle on what's happening. Mm-hmm. And it's just hard. Um, mm-hmm. the, the the people that we think are doing interesting things don't want to talk. So, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Uh, What else? So I think, uh, I think, the, like I said, data is still going to be a uh, important thing. So I think people who have interesting data, who are able to take, Public data make it usable, right? So I, I guess uh, Chris Ray and Mike Caffarella, Caffarella have this notion of dark data, right? So okay. taking data that's very unstructured, very unstructured, and making mm-hmm. and infusing it with structure so that you can use it for applications. Uh, okay. plus, uh, I think there's still a lot of there's still a lot of uh, competitive advantage to people who have uh, good mm-hmm. data.
0: So what's next? Uh, well, the AI conference is next, literally. It's coming up at the end of June. Uh, and I mentioned to you, uh, that this podcast is going to, uh, be published at the same time we're announcing a winner of a giveaway, a ticket giveaway for the AI conference. And one question that I had for you was, you know, I attended the first one. It was a great event. I uh, had lots of great conversations there, heard great talks. Yeah, you know, What's going to be different about the second event? So
1: a few things. One, uh, I, the first event was a two-day event. We did not have training or mm-hmm. tutorials. So at this event, we will have both. So, for example, we have a two-day training on uh, deep learning with TensorFlow. Um but and and then a bunch of other trainings and uh, uh, one that uh, stands out is a two-day training on on uh, NLP with deep learning with my friend uh, D. Lip Brown. Oh wow! And uh, D. Lip is also D. is also the organizer of uh, uh, a fake fake news challenge, and so the winners of which will present. At the conference, is this generating and on or the tutorial side? Detecting, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And on the on the tutorial side, we have a bunch of interesting tutorials from uh, reinforcement learning. Uh, in this particular edition of the conference, we're actually going to offer tutorials on a, a variety of deep learning frameworks, right? So not just TensorFlow, we have okay. uh, Big D, Big DL, and MXNet. Okay. We're also trying not to be a deep. We're we're trying to be uh, the industry gathering place for AI, where you can uh, learn about uh, many many different techniques in AI and how to use it in your organization or your company. Okay. So to that end, we're also off, we're also going to offer trainings in non deep learning techniques like probabilistic programming. Uh huh. Um, and what else? So the other, actually, uh, so reinforcement learning is a is a popular tutorial. It's emerging, as I mentioned earlier. The other popular tutorials have, are ones aimed at the non technical audience, right? So how do I bring, how do I manage an AI project? How do I bring uh, AI back into my company, right? Um, and then on the keynotes are going to be great, right? So we have. Uh, David Ferrucci, Dave Ferrucci, who led the IBM team uh, that won Jeopardy, the quiz show. Okay. So he hasn't spoken in, m- in many years, but he has a new research outfit called Elemental Cognition. Mm-hmm. So he's going to give a keynote about what they're up to, which is basically they're try- they're taking one of the grand challenges of AI, natural language understanding, and, and basically uh, tr- trying to... Uh, uh, come up with a system that can uh, do that well, um, and then uh, besides Dave giving a talk, uh, one of his colleagues will uh, do a forty-minute session deep dive on uh, what the, the, the technology and techniques, elemental cognition, uh, is doing to to crack natural language understanding. Okay, uh, Josh Ta- Josh Tenenbaum of MIT. Uh, you know I've long been fascinated by uh, what they do so basically they're trying to develop uh techniques that, that make that help machines learn and think like people so one i think one of the things that uh, deep learning is great at is uh uh perception and large scale uh and, and pattern recognition uh-huh. but it still it still relies on a lot of data and so josh and his crew are trying to come up with alternative methods for maybe taking deep learning and infusing it with startup knowledge, uh, making it uh, more much more efficient and much more similar to how people think. Okay, And then, uh, I don't know if you followed recently, but a group at Carnegie Mellon uh, led by Thomas Sandholm won, uh, uh, I don't know, I'm not a poker player, but uh, one of these poker tournaments uh, where they okay. beat out a bunch of uh, human, human top human players. Okay. Uh, so it's similar in you can think of it. Uh, this achievement as basically almost at the scale of AlphaGo. Right. 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 Okay. But so people don't the, are aren't as aware of it. So he's giving a keynote about this. Oh wow! Uh, about uh, how how they uh, won uh,
0: the tournament. It um, sounds like a great lineup. And
1: so yeah, and just like the previous conference, we have. S- sessions on many of the techniques that uh, people are interested in, but much more. Our focus is, uh, you know, we're we're also going to tr- try to provide a track for people who are interested in uh, how to bring these ideas and uh, uh, technologies and methods back into their organizations and in, and uh, implement them into their products. Okay. But uh, we also try to mix it up. I invited a bunch of my academic friends uh, are going to be speaking at the conference about uh, really cool things that uh, industry people will find interesting and maybe kind of spark a conversation and, and, and see how uh, we can, uh, you know, be a true gathering place for industry uh, interested in uh, building AI products.
0: Awesome. Oh, it sounds like it's going to be a great time. And I'm, certainly looking forward to it. Um, and it'll be great to, you know, catch up with you in person once again.
1: Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, at the risk of uh, being, uh putting another plug in, but uh, <laughs> we also have an AI conference in San, in San Francisco in September. Absolutely. absolutely. Uh, and we're still we're still, uh, uh, we're, I would say, 80% there as far as completing the lineup, but it's already looking great. And I'm sure you'll be there too, right? Oh, yeah. of course.
0: Yep, looking forward to it. Um, is, a, is there a CFP still open for that or has that been closed out? That's been closed out for okay. San Francisco. Okay. All right, great. Well, Ben, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to be on the podcast. It was wonderful having you on. And again, looking forward to seeing you in a few weeks. Thank you, Sam. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. We love, love, love hearing from listeners about the show. You can leave your questions and comments over on the show notes page at twimlai.com slash talk slash 26, where you'll find links to Ben and the various resources we mentioned in the show. And as always, our quote contest continues. Just drop us your favorite quote on the show notes page or your social media network of choice, and we'll send you a laptop sticker. Once again, thanks so much for
1: listening.